In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our holy God-bearing fathers, our guides in the Orthodox faith, those who were full of the grace of God, those who were enlightened, those who were pure, those who were led by God, have given us various teachings. And one of those teachings is something which is very important for all of us. It's about the life after. They speak about how when we pass away, when we go into the next life, how important it is for those who are left behind, for our loved ones, to do whatever they can for our souls. Many people today do not know how to help those who have, who they've lost. Some believe it's by making a beautiful grave, expensive grave, 20, 30,000. Some believe that it's the flowers, to give nice flowers, or to have a nice little talk at the funeral, which usually is unrelated to spiritual. And some believe that everyone goes to heaven, everything's nice, that's the message that's been given today through television and films. Either you don't believe that there's anything after in the next life, or you believe that there's everything, everything is beautiful, there's gardens, everyone's in joy, everyone's waiting for others to come there, and there's no fear. This is all contrary to not only the teachings of the fathers, but also it's contrary to the gospel. Because as we heard today in the gospel readings, we, read, we, we heard seven of them, because seven gospel readings are read. In some of those we hear how Christ says, be careful, be ready. I do not know you, like the parable of the ten virgins, five were foolish, five were wise. And then the, when, they, when it says when they passed away, they came and knocked on the door, the five that were foolish, We'll see why they were foolish in a minute. And they said, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And Christ said, I do not know you. And that actual expression is used quite often in the Gospels. So therefore, let us not be tricked and believe that everyone's going to be saved. That's a heresy which existed in the early centuries and was condemned by the Fifth Ecumenical Council. That heresy is as follows, that at the end, because God is full of love, there can be no hell, which means that even the demons, the devil and his demons will be saved, and everyone else on earth will be saved. No one will be going to hell. And that heresy has slowly again come back into the church, even amongst clergy. That's why it's very rare for someone to hear an Orthodox priest 
and even a bishop at times, to actually speak about that topic. Because in today's politically correct society where everything's got to be said nicely not to offend anyone, those type of things about heaven and hell, they're very, they're, oh, sorry, you can talk about heaven, but you can't talk about hell, they make people uncomfortable. They upset people. They distress people. And they've got to go on medication. Because today people, are, most people are on medication. Now, some people are, are legitimately unwell, but the majority of those on psychiatric medication is for one reason, ego. They can't be told their faults. They can't be told uh, anything, actually. They get very upset. So every time they go to the psychiatrist and they say, I can't cope and I'm very upset because someone at work told me something and I didn't like it and it made me sick and I couldn't get out of bed for days and I kept on thinking about it and I'm crying. And the psychiatrist says, well, we'll just up your medication until they make them docile enough where they don't feel anything anymore. So that's what happens today. So a lot of people today become upset with everything. They don't get upset with what they should get upset, which is the sins in the world, the blasphemy, that people aren't leaving, leading proper lives, that children are being corrupted through internet, through the schools. Those things don't upset them. What upsets them is when they're told their faults or when someone judges their children. Now, all of us have ego to some extent. All of us have this secret pride within us. And it's this pride which is not allowing us to accept the teachings of the church. Because to accept the teachings of the church, one needs humility. And humility is quite extinguished from the earth today. The saints had one characteristic which, of course, made them saints, which is their humility. The mother of God had humility where she accepted in humility to become the mother of God. And, and she talks about that humility. We read that in the Gospels. So without humility... We can't accept the teachings of the church. Everything bothers us. Our ego. Why is he speaking about the devil? Why does he speak about hell? What's this about sins? Why do I have to repent of my sins? I haven't done any sins. Why do I have to go to confession? Why can't women come to church for 40 days after they give birth? Why can't women commune when they're when they have their monthlies. Why this? Why that? Everything's, everything's why this? Why that? Everyone's questioning all the ego pouring out of our hearts. So, we need to get rid of our pride. We need to get rid of our ego so that we can become receptive to the teachings of of the Holy Fathers, the teachings of God. Without this humility, as I said, we are blind bats. 
But then again, I shouldn't put the bats down because they at least can see to some extent with their, they, they, with their radar that they use. Now and then, they, they obviously, they get their radar wrong and they hit some wires and you see them hanging from the wires. But in general, they actually see better than a lot of human beings because, why? Ego. What does Christ, he uses the word blind, spiritually blind, you blind guides. Continually within the gospel, in different sections, we read that Christ refers to those who weren't receptive to his teachings as blind. And he called and he said, let the, let the, um, the blind follow the other blind and they both fall into a ditch. We will not follow the blind. What we follow is we follow the teachings that the church has given us. Now, does that mean that every time a priest speaks or a bishop speaks that he's saying the teachings of the church or it's automatic? No. We have to check to see whether what we're hearing is a teaching that is a proper teaching, an orthodox teaching. Not something of personal view of every single priest, bishop, theologian, or monastic, or whatever. Now, some of you might say, but how are we going to do that? Do we know more? Are we to judge? Are we to judge the priests? Are we to judge the bishop? Are we to judge those who are uh, above us and are meant to teach us. Well, Christ answers that where he says that to search the scriptures, to do your own work, not just to sit there with mouths open and listen to whatever you're told, even tonight. I expect you to listen to what I'm saying and then to check what I'm saying, to see, is that is that according to what the gospel teaches? Is he teaching that? Is he teaching what the fathers say? Or is he making up some stupidities of his own? That's what you're supposed to do. People, if people are going to depend only on the clergy to teach them, then this is why throughout the centuries, people that many people fell into heresy. Arius... Was a, was a priest. Eftichios, of the who was condemned in the Fourth Ecumenical Council, was a priest. Dioscoros, who was condemned, was a bishop. We have so many bishops and so many priests who were anathematized in the Ecumenical Councils and other local councils, which were later recognized as universal. They're anathematized. What does the word anathematized mean? It means that they were cut off from the church as rotten. Just like society cuts off from, from itself um, people who are corrupt. People have no problem with that. If there's a pedophile and he's dangerous, people don't have a problem with that person being put in jail. It's like he's anathematized, like he's cut off from society. Well, the church also has its own way of protecting the flock. 
and the way to protect the flock is to cut off from herself those who are teaching things which are contrary to the Orthodox Church. So let us not be fooled and think, oh, well, because a priest says something, or a patriarch says something, or a bishop says something, or a monastic says something, that that's necessarily that we have to believe it. God wants from all of us to put in our own effort. In other words, he wants us to study the Bible, to study the lives of saints, to study the writings of the Holy Fathers. Now, there are some people who don't have a theological mind and they're not able to penetrate exactly what they're reading, for example. So then, how will they be able to listen to someone who's preaching something deep theologically about the two wills or the persons of Christ and, and all these theological terms? That would be very hard. So therefore, what do people have to do for that? Well, it's very simple. God protects those... He enlightens those who are seeking the truth. He gives his grace to those who, with a good disposition, who have a true desire to know the truth, he will enlighten those people to feel, even if they don't understand what they're being told, they will feel in their heart that something is not right. If something is from God, we feel the grace. How? We feel hum humility. We feel peace. We feel repentance. We feel zeal for, uh, to do the commandments. That's the characteristics of, the go of God's grace. While the characteristics of something that's demonic is, is the opposite. It makes us terrorised. We lose our peace. It can bring in us the swelling up of passions, pride, anger. That's why those born-agains, when they go into their hypnotic trances that they do, they become quite uh, agitated and they froth at the mouth. They fall down on the ground. They become aggressive and you don't want to disrupt them because they might actually hit you. So that's not a spirit of God, but they believe they've got the spirit of God. No apostles, no saints act like that. So even if someone can't even read and is looking for the truth and says in their simple prayers, God, protect me from heresy. And with their heart they say, I believe in whatever the Orthodox Church teaches and I reject whatever the Church rejects and they do their cross and they pray in that simple way, God will protect them as well. So who does God then allow to fall into deception? 
those who don't seek the truth, those who are too busy with their worldly things, those who aren't taking care of their souls. Those who take care of their souls, he will not leave. And he promised that. All he wants is some effort on our part. Effort to do some prayer. Don't have to do hours like the saints did and the monastics do. Even five, ten minutes in the morning, five ten minutes in the night to read a little bit of the gospel. Drink holy water every morning. Anoint yourself with holy oil every day. Which you can do if you take some oil today, those who haven't got any. To have some mandidoro prosphoro every, every morning. It's an effort. Got to put an effort. At least you're doing something. To read a little bit of a life of saint. And to struggle to keep the commandments. Which, which commandment especially? Which is good for us in the, in the time that we live in. One of, the, one of the ones is to do with pride. It says, blessed are the humble. And today, as I said, society is producing people that are full of pride. We're learning pride from the television. We learn pride from the schools. We learn pride even from our parents because they have no idea of the spiritual life. Praising the children. Oh, that's good. Excellent. You're the best. You're, you're smart. You're, when they might not even be smart. And continually praising them. You're the best dancer. You're the best sportsman. You're this, you're that. So therefore, a lot of us have been brought up in that type of atmosphere. So pride is in us, deep in our hearts. And proud people find it very hard to relate with other people because everything bothers them. So if you look at marriages today, what's the main reason for divorce? Ego. What type? Just can't even admit. People can't admit that they're wrong. People are selfish. People can't look to see, what can I do to make my wife's life easier? Or what can I do to make my husband's wife easier? It's today, is the expression that I say is dog-eat-dog. Dog-eat-dog means that I'll look out for myself and I don't care about anyone else. Ego in the marriage, ego at work, where people can't be told anything as soon as they get told. I, I know a person who was told their fault and they nearly got close to leaving a job which they will never be able to find again. Never be able to find again. He, that person was getting so much money which they slowly, slowly built up and, and, and got up to that level. But because he couldn't say sorry to one of his co-workers, he was ready to say, get lost, I don't want to work anymore, and that's it. Because he couldn't admit his fault. So this cancer, which is in our souls, all of us, by the way, is worse than cancer. See, we say, oh, cancer. That person's got cancer. Whoa, wow, that's really bad, which it is, physically. But we have to remember that God gives cancer 
to help the person to be saved. Many who, were, who got sick, they got scared. Where'd they run? To the church. Their souls became receptive. Their souls opened up. At first they come to be healed of their physical sickness. But after a while, they begin to seek spiritual healing. So those people, many, are saved. But those with ego aren't saved. If they die in their ego, then they are not saved. If we, we have to think about that. If we're having an argument with someone, if a husband's fighting with their wife, and the husband, for example, knows that he's wrong, and all he's got to do is say sorry, but he won't say sorry because of his ego, that person has to think to themselves, what happens if at this moment I have a heart attack and I die in ego? Elder Porfirios, a great Orthodox Greek saint, said, without repentance and humility, there is no salvation. Now, Elder Paisios said, without humility and repentance, there is no salvation. And all the great saints, Russian saints, Serbian saints, they all said the same. The kingdom of heaven is closed to those who have no repentance or and, sorry, and humility. The ten virgins in, the, in that we heard today in the gospel, in the parable, five were foolish and five were wise. And some say, well, if, if they're all virgins and they dedicated their life to Christ, like, say, like monastics do, why then are they called foolish? Why does Christ in the parable call them foolish? And why was the door shut to them such that they were knocking and said, Lord, Lord, open to us? And Christ said those fearful words, Amin, Amin, I say to you, I do not know you. What does he mean, I do not know you? Of course, God knows everything. He knows everyone. He's all-knowing. So how can he say, I do not know you? What he means that I do not know you is that I have no relationship with you. Now, why is that? Because God is uh, cruel. Why doesn't he have a relationship with those five virgins? He had a relationship with the other five, but not those five. Why? Because those people, those people did not allow him to have a relationship with them. God cannot force us, even though he's all-powerful, but he's given us this special gift. It's called free will. And he can't force anyone to love him. He can't force anyone to want to be saved. He can't do that. Because then he would have created robots. That's why the angels, some fell. They decided to become proud and said, I want to be above God. Adam and Eve fell because out of pride and disobedience. Even if the devil today repents, he will be saved, but he won't because of ego. So how then are we to be saved 
if we want to be like the five in the parable and not like those five who close their hearts to God. Now you say, how did they close their hearts? They were living a life of virginity. That's one of the greatest virtues is virginity. They were, yes, they did have virginity, physical virginity, virginity of the body. But as Elder Paisio said, and we mentioned in our last talk, there's also what's called uh, chastity, because chastity is like, is spiritual chastity or spiritual virginity. What's that? Just like a person who's a virgin who has never been touched sexually, physically, they're also what we call our souls. We want our souls to be pure and not to be defiled through sins. So even though they, their bodies were physically, they had virginity, spiritually, they were full of pride, they were full of self-love, they were full of ego, they never had love for others, they were merciless, they never cultivated within themselves those virtues. And because they didn't cultivate themselves but said, I'm a virgin, I'm going to be saved just from that, just like today people. They say, I'm Russian Orthodox, I'm Serbian Orthodox, I'm Greek Orthodox, I belong to the true church. True, the Orthodox church is the true church. But many of us will find uh, we'll find ourselves in the same position as the virgins on the last day, the foolish virgins. We'll be knocking on the door and say, Lord, Lord, open to us. And God will say, I never knew you. And then we'll say, but I went to church. I did my cross with three fingers, not with five. And I did it the correct way, not the opposite way. I, some will say I even fasted. Some will say I even confessed. But God will say, I do not know you. Why? Because we never opened our hearts to him. Because we never did anything about our ego, about our pride, about our passions. We did nothing about it. We made no struggles to deal with those passions. And that's why we see many ascetics who were in the desert, who left the world, who did these big fasts, who stayed up all night and did prayers. And yet, they were demons in rasa. What's rasa mean? The black that they wear. They were actually demons. Why? Because they were full of pride. And they believed that God was pleased with them or because they were doing some external things. Many of those who fell into heresies like Arius, he was an ascetic. And yet, he became the biggest blasphemer of the Orthodox Church where he taught that Christ isn't God. How does one get of being a great ascetic to that? Why? Because he did not struggle with his ego. And all those uh, heretics in the past and all those who did not who were not saved or did nothing about their ego, about their pride. They didn't try to cultivate humility. And unfortunately, myself, all of us here also lack to some extent 
all of us lack, and we all know that we're guilty of ego. Someone does something to us, we remember it for years. Do we forget? No. What do we do? We wait for that person to have some misfortune. Did we, a person said something to us, and we get upset, and then we wait. Five years, ten years, oh, did you? And they, then we say, oh, look at that person. Their child went into drugs. And are we upset about it a lot of times? No. Do we pray for that person? No. What do we have in our hearts secretly? No one knows. Pleasure. That's ego. And this is the reason today for the, for the disasters in the world and in the church. But as well, because of ego, we are not receptive to God's grace. God cannot come and abide in a person who's proud. It's God, in the psalm it says, as we heard today in the first part of the um, unction, a contrite and humble heart God will not despise. It says that same prophet David said that God doesn't want sacrifice, but he wants, like meaning external sacrifices, but he wants our hearts to be receptive to him. And the only way we can do that is through humility. And I'll, I'll leave off with the parable of the publican and Pharisee that we hear just before Lent. There was, it said that two went up to pray. One was a publican and one was a Pharisee. Publican were, was a tax collector. And the tax collectors were hated by all because not only did they collect taxes for the government, but they also collected extra for themselves. So people hated tax collectors. And then we have what's called the Pharisee. The Pharisee belonged to a group of, uh, of um, Jews who, who kept the law of God to the letter. And they were considered to be holy, one can say. And Christ there says that the Pharisee, as he stood with his head up high in the church, in the synagogue, said, thank you, you know, I thank, thank you God, I fast twice a week, I give, my, I give some money to the poor, whatever, and he was boasting to God of his virtues. Nothing, of course, you've got to fast, you've got to pray, you've got to give alms to the poor. That's not the problem. The problem is he was proud of that and he never mentioned one sin, not one of his sins. And then Christ says about the, the tax collector who came to the synagogue to pray. He had his head down because he was ashamed. He was beating his chest because our heart, his heart, was in pain because of the sins and he was saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He acknowledged his sins, even though his sins were great. While the other person, his sins were unknown. Who knows what he had in him? But one thing is, no one is sinless. And the closer we come to God, the more we feel our sins. That's why the saints, like Saint Serafimusarov, one of the greatest Russian saints, used to call himself a sinner. And he meant it wasn't just speaking like 
humble like we do. I'm a sinner like makes you sick. He actually meant it. I'm a sinner. So the closer one comes to God, the more they see their their sins. So obviously that Pharisee was not close to God. But the publican came to himself. He realised he was doing evil. He saw himself as off person. So how do we come to church, all of us? Whether priests, how we serve, or people who come to church. Do we come to church and think about our virtues? Oh, I fast, I pray, I do this, I'm a good person. Or do we come to church with pain in our hearts of all the sins that we've committed during the week before Sunday liturgy? Do we think about how many times we were angry and how many times we didn't say sorry and how many times we don't admit our faults and how many times we never repented, etc., etc., etc.? If we come to church like that, then, as Christ said, then we leave the church justified. In other words, we receive the grace of God. And if we die in that state, we're saved. As long as we are struggling towards acquiring repentance, humility, love, those are the main things. Faith. We must be struggling to it. It doesn't come automatically. We need to struggle to do that. That's what I wanted to say today. And the message that I'm giving is not just for yourselves. Don't think I'm talking down at you or that I'm speaking as if I don't have those problems. We all have demonic and disgusting pride and ego. When it comes on us, we all know it. We actually look like demons. However, we must make an effort to get rid of that and say to God, please free me from this demonic pride that I've got. Let not death find me in this state. Doesn't matter what we do. Doesn't matter what sins we do. As humans, we sin. St. John Christum says that. As humans, we sin. All of us do sins. But, but, he says, it's human to sin, but it's demonic not to repent. When we don't repent, when we don't acknowledge our sins, when we don't ask forgiveness, we, take, we become similar to the devil in spirit. That's why St. John Christum says it's demonic not to repent. God knows that we're weak. He, he, he allowed himself to be crucified and die on the cross so that we can receive forgiveness Don't listen to the devils that come to our minds when we do sins and say, there's no point, there's no hope. Don't don't go and confess because the the priest will be shocked. The priest will be be repulsed. That's all tricks. We answer to those thoughts and say, God became man and still remained God and he allowed himself to be to suffer and to die on the cross so that we can receive forgiveness. If he's done that big thing to allow himself to to die on the cross, our sins are nothing to that, in front of that. 
So let us not be tricked with that, even by our own stupidity or through demonic influence. Don't be tricked to say, oh, um, there's no point. There's no forgiveness. And that's why many commit suicide as well. Remember that. The last words. Think of the ocean. Think of the ocean, of how vast the ocean is and how deep. And then think of a drop of water dropping into that ocean. Is that going to make any difference to the ocean? No. It's, it is, it's so insignificant that you can't even, why even talk about it? As if a drop of water is going to make any difference to the ocean. And yet, that's what our sins are. God's love is like the ocean, deep, vast, except it's even greater than the ocean because God's love is infinite. And our sins are like one little drop in that. It's nothing. God's love engulfs that one drop. It's insignificant. Only if we go and we go to him. So that's the trick. The trick is don't repent, don't pray. What's the point? You won't be saved. These are demonic thoughts. Those who have bottles can refill your bottles with the holy oil. Those who are new or haven't got a bottle, they are allowed to take a bottle of oil home. Father John Christiankin says that it's good to anoint yourselves daily with holy unction oil. You don't need a priest when you take it home to anoint yourself. He also says for those who are very sick that they can also drink the oil in the morning. I say, for example, add a bit to some holy water and you can drink it. When you anoint yourself at home, make sure that you wipe it off with a tissue after and then you've got to burn those tissues. Don't just throw tissues away in garbage bins if they've got holy oil on them. Amen. I